Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today we are en route to Hawaii to chat with Dr. Candice Seti. Dr. Candice is a clinical psychologist, certified nutrition coach, certified personal trainer, and the creator of the Sabotage Warrior Coaching Program. She is here to talk about her incredible work in healthcare and her books, Sabotage Warrior Coaching Program and Chatter the Yo-Yo. So, dear Candice, welcome to the RV. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for spending your precious time with us. And we've embarked on quite the journey to track you down in Hawaii, Dr. Candice. <laughs> I know we're pretty far apart right now. Yes. Our gas tank is flirting with empty. I'm sure it was worth it to come here today. I so, hope so. Where exactly in Hawaii are you now? I'm on Maui. So okay. I live here half time. I live half time on Maui and half time in San Diego. Ah, okay. So Maui is such a beautiful spot. And I must say we are kind saddened by the recent catastrophe caused by the burns there a few weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, it's I been about two weeks. Yeah, it's been mm-hmm. incredibly devastating and horrific what's happened here. And, you know, what's the, the loss that so many people have experienced. Um, but it's also a really, really incredible community here. And the way the community has pulled together to support and caretake and provide and volunteer and give, I mean, it's such an incredible thing to see and be a part of. And I, I mean, obviously, it doesn't undo any of the tragedy, but it's an amazing thing to see and experience in, in light of that and to know that the community is doing everything in their power to help take care of those that, that have lost everything and have experienced such such immense tra- immense tragedy and devastation. So, you know, it's it's been devastating and amazing at the same time is what I keep telling people. I'm happy to know that people are helping each other and love is is there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And I see you are originally from New York, New York City, just outside of New York City. Yeah, the suburbs of New York. I know you live also in both San Diego and Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Candice, how do you split your time between these places? How does it work? <laughs> That's a good question. Sometimes I'm not even sure myself. Um but we usually do like three months chunks of time in each place. So we kind of go back and forth for three months. So we've been here for about 
two and a half months right now. So we'll probably go back to San Diego in a couple of weeks. Um, most likely spend about three months there and then kind of come back. So that's sort of been a little bit of our routine. There's there's some wiggle room in there based on, you know, things that we need to be certain places for, but that's how we try and try mm. and flip. But I think it's kind of very exciting also when you are getting like bored about a place <laughs> and you just have to go to the, the other one. It's like sure, the, that's always there. I mean, you have that too, right? Yes, actually, I split my time between the U.S. and Spain. Uh huh. I find really enjoyable, and you know, this arrangement makes me feel at home, whether I'm missing my friends or have work to complete. Mm -hmm. I always feel at home. I am so curious about your work. And with your diverse range of certifications and expertise, what prompted you to pursue this particular career path? Um, well, it was really, um, you know, my, my own journey and my own experience with weight loss and diet dependence. Um, you know, I, I was a psychologist. I mean, I had always kind of known that was going to be my career path. Um, and I was a psychologist in private practice, and I specialized in um, self-esteem, body image, a little bit with eating disorders. And so I was kind of working with that population. And concurrently, I sort of went through my own experiences with weight loss and kind of the, the on and off yo-yo dieting phenomenon. And, you know, in, again, in my own experience, kind of realized that there had to be another way there had to be something else that was sustainable, some way to actually do this and maintain it as opposed to having to be on and off a diet for your whole life. And, and kind of in digging into myself, I realized that that was much more about the cognitive, about mindset, about behavior, about lifestyle, about all of these patterns and habits that we actually need to change much, much more than just counting calories or exercising more. And so in making those changes for myself, I realized that they that it was kind of an idea that that needed to come to so many and that almost everybody I was working with was struggling with the same thing. So I wanted to find a way to provide that for everybody else. And that's kind of when I started advancing my my education in all of these areas, because I wanted to be as well rounded as I could in approaching it with people. So that's when I went back and got certified as a nutrition coach and a personal trainer and a weight management specialist and a stress management specialist and an insomnia treatment clinician, because all of these things are factors and go hand in hand when you're talking about sustainable weight loss, right? You can't look at any one of these pieces independent of all of the rest of them. So that was sort of what what spawned my my re-education and my advancing my education to to be able to cover all of that stuff with the people I work with. Oh, I love it. And basically you blend psychology, nutrition, and lifestyle changes for effective well-being. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Yeah, and could you elaborate how your integrated approach involving psychology and nutrition proves beneficial to your clients? 
Well, I mean, it's it's really about helping people understand their own behavior, right? I mean, when when you go on a diet, it's it's like saying, okay, I just have to count these calories and not eat these particular foods or whatever it may be. But you don't actually gain any true insight into why you're doing the things you're doing. And, you know, I say this all the time, but, you know, everybody I work with knows that an apple is healthier than a cookie. So it's not about educating them on the fact that the apple is healthier. It's helping them uncover the reasons why they may not choose the apple, knowing that it's healthier. And so really being able to dig into why, right, the, the thought patterns that are that are fueling their maladaptive behaviors and helping them find ways to integrate more adaptive behavior, more healthy behavior patterns, because they now understand why they're doing what they're doing. And once they gain that insight, they can start to look at how to make change. And so really it's about using your own understanding of yourself, that introspection to drive more maintainable change moving forward. Yes, totally. I think we need more hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I could talk about it for hours as well. Obviously, I do talk about it all day, every day. So I love to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and this is a subject that I'm sure our listeners are very curious about. And, you know, almost every time we come across new information about different diets. And throughout my life, I've chosen not to adhere to specific diets because my belief has always been centered about nourishing my body with healthy foods. Dr. Candice, why do you think traditional diets often led to failure? And why do you believe many individuals struggle to embrace alternative approaches? Well, I mean... Alternative approaches have not been readily available. I mean, if you ask anybody who needs to lose weight, what do you do about it? I mean, the answer is always you go on a diet. That's it, right? That's all we're taught. That's all we're presented. It's the only option. And what we want to do is lose weight and diets promise we can do it fast and easy. And it's a no brainer. And so it's what we go to. And we go to it because it works, but it only works short term, right? And so if I want to lose weight and I go on a diet, it's going to work and that's going to make it appealing to me. And it means when I go off of it and I gain the weight back and I know I need to lose weight again, I immediately go to, oh, well, I'll go on a diet that worked for me before. Mm -hmm. So I know it's going to work again. And now here we are a yo-yo dieter mm -hmm. and we can stay on that bandwagon sometimes for decades. Because again, the problem is there is no such thing as long-term success with dieting. We know that 98% of diets fail long-term. And the 2% they work for are usually very unique and are doing something else. So it all fails long-term. But again, we like the short-term results and it's all we know how to do. So we set ourselves up to do that, right? And we know it's problematic because the more we yo-yo diet, the worse it is for ourselves. The more we we set ourselves up to have this extremely negative feelings about ourselves and our capability because we start to feel like we can't do anything without a diet. We start to feel dependent on the diet. We know that frequent yo-yo dieting sets us up for depression. 
We know that frequent yo-yo dieting sets us up to feel trapped. We know that yo-yo dieting sets us up to have a very unhealthy relationship with food. We know that yo-yo dieting makes it harder and harder and harder for us to lose weight long-term because it wreaks havoc on our metabolism. So it's, it's terrible for us, but again, it's basically all we've ever been presented with. So it's why most people choose that route. They just don't know what else to do. I couldn't agree more. And it's incredibly important to understand what foods are beneficial for your individual needs. As I don't believe in a one size fits all approach nutrition. And for example, in my case, I have to admit that I am following a diet, but it's not really something that is, I will eat soup every day or only eggs. You know, I'm currently following a low carb diet because I've noticed that I function better when I'm consuming less bread and similar foods. Well, and to your point, it's, it's not about necessarily knowing what food is healthy and what food is not. It's about knowing what foods your body responds well to and what foods make you feel good. And, you know, you can take, you know, any food on the planet, you can take a red bell pepper and say, this is a very healthy, nutrition rich food that's loaded with antioxidants and all these nutrients. But that doesn't mean it's good for everybody. Yeah. And there are plenty of, it's a nightshade vegetable and there are plenty of people who have difficulty processing nightshade. So yeah. arbitrarily speaking, is it a healthy food? Sure. But does that mean it's good for everybody? Absolutely not. And so the piece of that is about understanding what your body likes, understanding what makes you feel good. I call them your feel good foods. And it's not about what makes you feel good emotionally or what you crave. It's about what you eat and then feel really good about what you feel energized by what you feel, you know, satiated by what you feel content with, right? Do you feel gross after you eat it? Or do you feel wonderful after you eat it? Do you feel energized after you eat it? Or do you feel extremely tired after you eat it? How does your body respond to it? Because most of us are driven by wanting to feel good in our body. And when we can really connect the dots between what what we eat and how our body actually feels as a result of that, it can be very powerful in driving our behavior. And the which key factors do you consider when, let's say, evaluating a new diet trend to determine if it's a sustainable and healthy choice? Well, if it involves any type of generic restriction or kind of one-size-fits-all based restriction, I generally don't. I don't consider it. I don't evaluate because I think restriction in and of itself is about how we give food power. And, you know, when we restrict a certain food, simply because we say it's, it's going to make me fat, or it's going to make me gain weight, we give that food ultimate power over us, and it ends up becoming a trigger food or a binge food. And when anything is rooted in restriction, especially restricting an entire food group, or something that we know is healthy, it's generally not going to be a good thing for people. Now, again, individually speaking, might it be a good thing for somebody? Sure. But that person needs to evaluate that for themselves based on what feels good in their body and what doesn't. But restriction is not usually an effective tool for people. And it's why when people go on restrictive diets, 
they're able to maintain it for maybe three weeks. And then what they do is they rebound and go 180 degrees in the other direction. And all they do is eat the foods that they have been restricting for three weeks. So most diet programs are rooted in some form of restriction. And for that reason, I tend to rule just about every one of them out. Exactly. I, I couldn't. I, For example, I love chocolate. And what I do, I eat 85% chocolate because I know that it's good. There is no like a lot of carbs, more fat. Of course, they're getting all of the antioxidants with the higher cacao ratio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you guide your clients to develop a well-rounded outlook on long-term health objectives while avoiding the temptation of (laughs) quick fixes and rapid results? That is a good question. I mean, first of all, I mean, we have to let go of all of our diet think and all of our diet mentality. And so many people that come to me, that's how their brain works, right? They think in terms of points or calories or, you know, macro distributions or whatever it may be. And, and are immersed in looking at food as good or bad or right or wrong. And, you know, letting go of that diet mentality and embracing a different outlook is is critical to making long-term change, right? Not looking at food as good or good or bad, but looking at, you know, what does my body need? What is my body craving? How do I feel when I eat that? And, you know, is that a healthy food? Maybe not, but am I okay with eating it right now? Sure. Is that okay? Why am I driven to it? Am I driven to it because I want to eat that? Am I just craving? Am I tired? And I'm just needing energy and my body is asking for energy, right? Really looking at that and breaking away from the diet thing and moving into kind of a more moderate, well-rounded perspective that's sustainable, which also includes, again, getting rid of restriction, right? There are so many people that think I can't eat that. Oh, it's, it's, it's a carb or it's sugar or it's, I'm not allowed, or I have no control over that myself around that food. And allowing that food back into your life is part of getting control over it and part of starting to realize you have control over it. And if I tell people, I want you to eat five cookies every single day, they're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah, they're going to make that face when I, when I tell them that. But there's going to come a point where they're not going to want to eat them, where they're mm-hmm. going to say, you know what, I don't, I don't want a cookie today. And that's the point where they realize they now have control over the cookie and the cookie doesn't have control over them because they've taken away that restriction. And that's part of moving away from diet think and moving into healthy, moderate living, which is where I'm trying to get everyone into a place where they feel good about themselves, good about their body, good about their capability. And that never comes from dieting. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Yeah, exactly. And Dr. Candice, don't hate me. I have to ask you. It just came up now. I have to ask you something. So eggs. Huh? <laughs> Poor eggs. They were 
always considered a villain. Like they are the worst thing because of the cholesterol. Now everybody loves uh-huh. everybody loves eggs. Yeah. Do you have something to tell us about eggs? <laughs> well, just like the example I gave with peppers is, you know, you can say something is arbitrarily healthy or nutritious or not healthy or not nutritious. And the way people respond to it is different, right? We know that food cholesterol and blood cholesterol are not necessarily the same things, but we know there are certain people that need to be more mindful of that than other people. So are eggs a nutritious food? Absolutely. Are they loaded with all sorts of different things that are good for you? Yes, especially by the way, if you're eating the yolks, because the yolks are where all of the nutrition lives. Um, So are eggs a healthy thing for a lot of people? Sure. Do some people respond poorly to eggs? Do some people have reactions to eggs? Are some people allergic or sensitive to eggs? Sure, those people probably shouldn't eat them. You know, and it's not as black and white as just this food is healthy, this food is not healthy. Again, it comes back to what does your body do well with? And if your body does well with eggs, then they're a wonderful, healthy part of a well-rounded diet for you. If not, then they're not, right? And it's It's about evaluating each individual food that way, right? I mean, you may say, you know, Oreos are not a healthy food and they're not, right? They're not nutritious in any way. They're not adding nutrition. But if you really, really enjoy them and telling yourself, I can never have them ever again, sets them up to have power over you, then they should probably be a part of your diet in some way. Not an all day, every day part of your diet, but yes, in some way, They're a beneficial addition to your diet because you don't feel deprived. So everything has to be about looking at the bigger picture. And again, what makes you feel good? What makes you feel capable? What makes you feel in control? Yes, it's a common sense. I love chocolate, but I'm not eating it every Uh day. I need chocolate once a week, for example. But everything in excess is not good. Exactly. Moderation is key to success here. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about your journey behind the books. So oh, you yep. published two books so far. Mm-hmm. And what prompted you to write these books? I know that writing is outside of your comfort. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I always say I, I've written some books and I'm not even remotely a writer. Um, it's, it's not what I do. It's not where I'm comfortable. I'm as, as a writer, I'm much more of like a scientific writer, right? So I'm somebody who, who writes very succinctly and, you know, I can turn in a draft to my publisher and they'll say, this is great. Now make it like five times as long as this. And I'm like, what? It says everything I need to say. I don't understand. But so that's kind of my style of writing, which is why book writing is, is not my forte. But my goal was, you know, my first book, Shadow the Yo-Yo, which is, a, you know, about what we've been talking about, the idea of helping people kind of break their dependence on diets and learn how to manage their weight sustainably on their own. The goal there was really just to be able to reach more people in a more achievable way because, you know, I'm, I'm a psychologist in private practice and there's only so many hours in the day and I've been, you know, full in my practice for a really long time. And I wanted to be able to get what I was doing and what I was providing to more people. And a book just seemed like a really good way to do that. Um, But it was definitely a a struggle to write it. Um, 
just because again of, of my writing style and the fact that I am more succinct that way. Um, and my second book, the self-sabotage behavior yeah. workbook was really an extension of that work. And, and everybody always asks me, I, you know, I thought your specialty was kind of weight loss and eating disorders. Like, why are you writing about self-sabotage? And I always tell people, if you take any one of the people I work with in the weight loss field, self-sabotage is always what's going on behind the surface in some way or another. It's just a subset of self-sabotage. So what I wanted to do with that book was, again, take the work that I was doing and apply it to the bigger population as a whole. You know, people who were self-sabotaging in their careers or self-sabotaging in their relationships, you know, or self-sabotaging with regards to their weight or their body. But, you know, it's it's something that's applicable kind of globally, not just in the weight loss realm. And so that was my goal with that book, again, to reach kind of a bigger population and get that information out to people in a more more achievable way. Wonderful. I'm going to read the books and of course we'll be referring it to my friends and anyone who asks me about food and nutrition. I believe that is not only about what you eat but how you feel. So do you have some examples to give us about how our brain is also responsible for the way we eat or not, or the way we react to some kind of food or some cravings, let's say? Well, I mean, there, there's so many pieces of that, but the most common one that people can relate to is about emotional eating. And, you know, um, you know, I talk with everybody about emotional eating and, you know, just about everybody on the planet will admit that they eat emotionally. Um, but, you know, emotional eating is basically just going to food for emotional reasons rather than, you know, biological, physiological, hunger-based reasons. And most of us think this is just sadness or boredom or stress that we turn to food, but it, it's also happiness and celebration and excitement and social situations that are also forms of emotional eating. So, you know, we go to food for emotional reasons very, very, very often. Basically, anytime we eat for something other than hunger, it's usually emotional eating. And this is something that's drilled into us at a very, very young age, right? Food is something we grow up with and it becomes social or emotional or celebratory when we're very young, right? We, you know, win our soccer game in elementary school and we get treated to ice cream. And so ice cream becomes how we celebrate or, you know, we get sad when we're a kid or feel bad about something. And, and, you know, our parents make us our favorite food as a treat to cheer us up. So food becomes a way to tolerate negative emotions or, Food becomes very, very connected to our memories. And then we use it to create comfort because it brings us back to a time when we felt comfortable, right? So we develop this emotional relationship with food at a very early age. And we don't really think about it. We just do. And so for a lot of people, it becomes about really digging into this emotional relationship we have with food and how we use food emotionally. Again, whether it be for celebration, for sadness, for boredom, for distraction, for stress, and then identifying that and starting to create healthier 
alternative behaviors for those emotions. How else can we treat ourselves when we're feeling sad? What else can we do when we're bored? What else can we do when we're feeling stressed? How else can we celebrate? What can we do to change that relationship with food so that we're we're treating our emotions appropriately and then also treating food emotionally and kind of breaking that association that most of us have had for most of our lives, right? Nowadays, I go to the cinema and can just take water. But before, going to the cinema was linked to popcorn. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and food, as you said, is it's all about food when we want to celebrate. And of course, we are sad and we want to eat sometimes to compensate some feeling. But in reality, being able to understand that we need to try to control or cope with some desires of eating something that is not healthy just because we are sad. I don't know. I'm not psychologist. I think I'm not going to put this. Forget. <laughs> I'm definitely not a psychologist. It's not. I don't. Well, but, but you're talking about habit, and you're talking about associations, right? And yeah. you know, you pair something enough, and it becomes a habit, and we start to create those associations. And you know, when we, for example, turn to food because we're sad we stop being able to deal with being sad. And sometimes we just need to know that it's okay to feel sad. And maybe we need to give it a little bit of attention and let ourselves sit in it a little bit in order to be okay with it, to not be so scared of it, to not feel like we have to run from it or distract ourselves from it. And that it's okay to feel our feelings. And that's oftentimes the process of moving through them. And when we turn to food for a lot of these things, we don't actually allow ourselves to feel them. And, and so they don't always go away. They just sit there and they keep coming back and keep coming back. And we end up stuck in this vicious cycle of going back to food again and again and again, when simply, you know, looking at and feeling and sitting with our emotions may have done a better job of moving us through them than food did. Yeah. I think your program, coaching program, is highly empowering, Dr. Candice. Because, I like to think yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's really the goal is to make people realize how in control they actually are of their own behavior and their relationship with food. Because most people who come to me think that they don't have any control over food or that they don't have any willpower. And I always tell them it's it's not about control or willpower. You have infinite supplies of both. It's just your perception of your willpower, your perception of your control, and and allowing people to start to per perceive themselves that that way as being in control, as being capable. That is really the game changer. And Dr. Candice, what is next for you? Are you planning to write more books? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, I mean, it's just, it's just a great vehicle to, to get to people and to get, you know, the information that I want to share out to so many people. Writing is obviously a hard process for me, but I feel like the, the benefit far outweighs the struggle in terms of the people I'm able to reach and help and support. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's somewhere in my future. Um, But, but I do continue to work on programs and online programs. Um, 
I have a lot of, you know, what I call DIY programs that I offer for people online. Um, and I have several different coaching programs for people online. And mm -hmm. right now I'm working on what I'm calling my master mini courses, which are kind of shorter, more attainable courses for people that want to master a different topic area, whether it be their relationship with food or portion control or self-care or stress management. Um, and I have several of them done and up already, and I'm, I'm working through the rest of them. But, you know, I do have a lot of kind of longer, you know, eight to 12 week programs online. And I've gotten a lot of demand for people that want like quick mini, you know, I just want to want to tackle it, move on. And so that's why I've put together these programs for those people that are wanting something more short and sweet and succinct that they could just kind of tackle and run with. So that's what I've been working on lately. Wow. I don't know how you find time to do so <laughs> many things. <laughs> uh, well, I know you're just as busy as I am. So it's, it's just how we prioritize our time, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, I would like to know if you would like to leave a message for our listeners today. Um, well, I mean, I feel like I say this all the time, but one, you can do it. Two, you are capable. Three, you are worth it. I mean, the reality is those are the things that most of us get stuck on. I, I can't do it. I'm not able. It's not worth it. And it's, it's all BS. You, you can, you are, and it's not nearly as hard as you think. It's really, like I said, just about changing your perception. You are infinitely capable. You just need to start believing you are. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love this advice. And I am going to definitely follow you wherever you are. Independently, if you are in San Diego or Hawaii or <laughs> also in New York. Dr. Candice, where can our listeners find you and your courses, your books? Um, my website is probably the most central place, which is meonlybetter.com. Um, and I do have all my coursework and all my social media links on there and my books on there and everything, but obviously Amazon for the books too. Um, and then all of my social media, I post tips and tricks and ideas and suggestions and articles and stuff every day. So those are great places to follow me. Um, and you can find all of those links on my website as well. Wonderful. And for our listeners, I would like to tell you that Dr. Candice will be featured in our magazine in September. So there you will be able to check her website, her book cover, and her article will be featured there. So Dr. Candice, it was such a pleasure. I hope we can see each other soon and have a beautiful day in Hawaii. Thank you, you as well. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.